Welcome to Time Limit, the podcast that gets you an insider's view on leadership, productivity, and project management practices. I'm your host, Brett Harned. Thanks so much for listening. So whether you're leading an entire business or just part of it, I think today's episode is going to give you some ideas and some inspiration. My guest is Chris Dreyer, the CEO of Rankings.io, which is a digital marketing agency strictly focused on SEO. If you don't know what that is, it's search engine optimization. And they do that SEO work specifically for elite personal injury law firms. So I've known Chris for a while now, and I'm really impressed with the team at Rankings. So I thought it would be a good idea to have him on the show to talk about how he got into SEO, how he started and grew a business and a team, and then implemented EOS, which is an operating system that aligns teams, instills focus, and leads to a healthier business. So check it out. Hey, Chris, thank you so much for joining me on Time Limit today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Brett. Absolutely. It's good to talk to you, man. So you are a leader in the SEO field. You're the CEO of Rankings.io, which is a successful and growing SEO firm that where you're basically focusing in on law firms. Um, I, I want to touch on your background in SEO a little bit, but, and I do really want to dig in on leadership today because I think your story is very unique, but it's also one that I think a lot of people can relate to because I know there are a lot of business owners who started in a place where they were really good at a thing and they just blew up and, and grew a business. So I thought maybe we could start out by maybe you just talking to us a little bit about how you got into SEO and maybe how you got into kind of wanting to run your own business. Yeah, so I'll have to take it back. I And you can speed me up at any point. I, I have a history education degree and I went to college, but I didn't really have a passion. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I used to tell my parents that I was going to own my own business. I said, yeah, I'm going to get a degree, but I'm going to own my own business. And they knew that going in and I ended up getting a job as a detention room teacher at a high school. And so that's the alternative classroom where the kids had gotten in trouble, you know, had to come in before school or stay after and it was on the same track as teachers. So lining up for my retirement, if I did this for three years, my fourth year I taught, I'd have four years teaching on this track. So it made sense as a way to get my foot in the door, but it was such a grind because I'd have to go there, you know, five, six in the morning to prepare the detention room before school. Then I had to stay after. So it was, it was substantially worse hours than a teacher. And not only that, I was a basketball coach too. So I was starting my day at 5 a.m. and getting home at 9 p.m. every day. And there was this part in the middle where I was like, I have to do something else. I had to figure out how to, I always had this hustle in me, but I, I, I didn't know how to apply it to, to make it earn for me. And I found Ed Dale's 30-day challenge to make your first $10 with digital marketing. And I think I made like 20 bucks through affiliate marketing, but <laughs> by the end of my second year of teaching, I was making more, substantially more through affiliate marketing than I was teaching. So I decided to pursue it full time. I, my first site was lose a double chin and I ranked number one for double chin for like three years. <laughs> uh, I had a stained concrete site that ranked number one for stained concrete for like five years and I never stained concrete. I had ghost riders write it, but um, towards about 2011, I had it up to about 15K a month, decent amount back then. And 
that first penguin algorithm hit and it took me from 15 K overnight to like 2000, I have to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a job at an agency cause I knew SEO, I knew marketing. Okay. And I rose to be their top SEO guy. And after being there for about a year and a half, I just, I didn't agree. I, I'm a DI type A. I didn't agree with their approach to a lot of what they were doing to serve their clients. And I just knew that I was going to start an agency. And since I saw the, hey, kind of what not to do. And I got this extra push from my sister who owns a plumbing company. She's like, you need to do it. And I took the leap in 2013. Cool. So it sounds like that entrepreneurial spirit was kind of always a part of who you are regardless. Like you knew you wanted to own your own business. Oh yeah, for sure. And the tipping point was really getting the experience in an agency on top of that SEO experience that you kind of just gained on your own. Yeah. And if I'm being totally honest, I was into the party mode, uh, immature in the affiliate days. And I wasn't ready to have an actual business until, mm -hmm. until about 2013. Yeah. So I got to know working in that agency, knowing you wanted to do your own thing, did you kind of have any hesitation when it came to not just starting a business, right? Cause you could start a business and do your thing as, as one person, but, um, having to hire people and then lead them? Like any hesitation around that? That's a great question. And I'll say no. And the reason is because when I was running my affiliate marketing business, I was cruising this Keyword Academy forum and I was reading about the most successful affiliate marketers and they all had teams and they were utilizing Upwork. And back then, I can't remember what it was called. It was called something else. Um, and I had a team for my my affiliate sites. I had processized everything myself, you know, do it, uh, document it, delegate it type of situation. And I already felt comfortable working with the team. So when I went in, at first I didn't have the revenue to sure. work with a team, but I knew that pretty quickly I was going to start delegating. That's cool. Uh, that That is a level of awareness that I haven't seen in too many people in your kind of position. You know, I, I know a lot of agency owners who grew businesses from, you know, being successful as a developer or designer, right? And then they find themselves with several employees in more of a business role. And they kind of get mm -hmm. to this point where they're like, oh my gosh, I just want to go back to doing that thing that I love that brought me here. On the flip side of that, I think I've all also known some owners who just can't let go of the day-to-day, -day, right? Like they're still working in the business when they arguably should be working on the business. But I get it, right? Like you build this thing that's kind of core to who you are, to what you do well, and you want it to do even better, right? So I guess my question out of all of that is, how do you let go? Like, was there anything that you had to set yourself up for, think about being ingrained in, in who you are to be able to, to trust people that you've hired? That's a really interesting question. I think the first thing is, is, is self-awareness. As an owner, your employees are never, for the most part, are never going to care as much as you do. Right. They don't, they aren't the owner. I think the worst core value that any company can apply to their core values is ownership mentality. 
think it's a joke. I, you're the owner. You ought, you do have that mentality. If you're not, you're the employee. But you have to surround yourself with great people. And I think that just understanding that if something's 70% as good as, as what you do, and maybe you can get them to that 80 or 90%, there's an opportunity to scale and grow because I only have so much time, so much capacity to do these things. And I'm going to have to bring other people on to grow. Absolutely. That, that makes sense. What, what was your, uh, what was kind of the tipping point for hiring your first employee? The tipping point was I was getting demand for skills and, and needs that, that I didn't have the expertise in. in. In the beginning, it was a lot of web development, email and hosting migration and design type of, um, a, a lot of times, you know, you won't find a web designer that can also code and you need to break up those roles. But I found kind of the unicorn right. uh, from an acquaintance, just kind of luckily that could do both. So that was actually my first hire, and he's actually my president today. Stephen Willie has great soft skills, but also a very strong a strategic mindset. Mm-hmm. Looking now, I have a second agency, ESQ Marketing, and my approach has been a little bit different. It is my first hire is going to be a project manager to get the president out of the weeds, so that he can focus on selling and business development. And then a lot of that early investing is going to go into marketing um, rankings. My first like 15 hires were all service oriented individuals before I hired support or business development. Interesting. Okay. So where is your team now? How, how large is your team? And then I'm interested to know, like, what do you really like about your team? Like, what do they, what do, they do really well? How do, how do you kind of talk about them? Good question. The we are at 21 people, and our MRR right now is I think it's around 520, 520k MRR monthly recurring revenue mm-hmm. uh, for rankings, not for ESQ. And we could have a lot more staff because the general rule is you know, 200,000 gross per employee. You know. Um, it's kind of a general rule of thumb uh, when you compare it to top line and cost of goods sold. But uh, we structured our agency in a different way where we are mostly composed of strategists and project managers and the technician, the doers are strategic partners. And the benefit, as you know, there are tons of digital agencies that are the doers that are specialized in one thing link building, content, local SEO. So that's who we partner with. It makes it easier to um, look at margins and deliverables because we can factor those into our costs. Um, Also helps with capacity situations for scaling where we can throttle up or throttle back our capacity if needed and it doesn't affect our full-time staff and having to furlough individuals. So very long-winded way of saying, you know, we're structured through project managers and strategists. And what I like about it is people own their specific function. Mm-hmm. And you know, we have a marketing function that's owned by an individual that I can be that visionary for that side of things. And then it's executed. The same for finance, the same for operations and account management. And 
I can kind of have this bird's eye head up approach looking down at where's the holes, what can be improved as opposed to being in the weeds with my head down, just always focusing on the work. Yeah. So it sounds like in that structure, trust is really important. Would you, would you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. So in order to kind of continue to be successful as a business, to continue to grow, you've got to build that trust. I'm curious, what are things that you might do as a CEO or a founder, or honestly, even someone who's really invested in the business as a leader within your business, like what are the things you have to do to, to build trust with the team? I think it starts with communication and candid conversations. I, we refer to ourselves a long time as being radically transparent with the company. Anytime we let go an employee, we explain why, mm -hmm. which is tough to hear sometimes, or we would even share our top line revenue numbers, how much spe uh, specific clients were paying us, um, all of these types of things, even the, the ranges for our salaries. They know what our ranges are uh, for our comp bands. So a lot of transparency and, and just great, a very large emphasis of communication. Uh, as much as we can through a remote-based company. So we have very specific tools. You know, Trello we use for workflows, Slack we use for communication, Zoom for video when, when we need to have a deeper conversation so things aren't misinterpreted through inflection. Um, and then we're working on Notion for a knowledge base. Right. Okay. So kind of related to that, what do you think, like what kind of mindset do you think that a founder or a CEO needs to take on when they're leading a company, but also when they're leading a company with goals for growth? I, I think the most successful CEOs that I've been a, a year or congregated with are they have a lot of similarities in that they're drivers and they're doers. Everyone's heard entrepreneur, entrepreneur, ruminator, you know, individuals that ruminate on decisions. It's at the end of the day, you have to get as, as much information as you can and then make a decision and then act. There's even some quotes like get it done then get it right. Mm -hmm. Ready, fire, aim. <laughs> and you know Michael Mas Masterson I believe but it's just you have to make a mess you can read everything in the world and ruminate and have this education but at the end of the day you have to experience these situations to learn from them yeah we we kind of share a, a similar value at Team Gantt um, uh, a kind of phrase that's been thrown around is done is better than perfect Right. So this idea of like, just get something out there, see how it does, and then continue to iterate on it and make it better. It sounds like we have similar ways of thinking there. You know, when you're talking about kind of how you operate in the business and how you work with, you know, different people in the business, it made me wonder, you know, are you the, are you the thing or the person that kind of drives productivity or motivation within the company? Or is there something else that you think, makes your team work well together? I think, I think everyone does like that, that I'm a, a visionary and I have these ideas and bring innovative approaches, but 
my president really embodies that role of integrator where he he's the glue of the company amazing soft skills amazing team player and he kind of holds the whole organization together and i think that that he's a large component i think my directors are great managerial leaders i don't like the word manager i prefer leader coach or mentor and then i think um traction and just having a, a our own internal jumbotron our own scorecards leads to competition and self-awareness um that helps with motivation absolutely it's almost like you knew where i was going with the next question so you <laughs> so you mentioned traction um and i know that uh at rankings you've kind of implemented eos which is entrepreneurial operating system I've already told you I don't know too much about it. So maybe you could just talk a little bit about what EOS is and maybe even your decision to kind of implement EOS, uh, EOS with your leadership team or within your team. My story with EOS is I was in Vistage, a peer group, and I noticed one of the individuals in my mastermind was implementing EOS. And I got to see how it affected his business in such a positive manner before I even was aware of it. And basically what it is, it's, it's, it's the entrepreneurial, can't pronounce it, entrepreneurial operating system. Yeah. It's, or otherwise, it's just a simplified business framework, a, a comprehensive framework to manage your business through people, vision, process, traction, data, probably missing one, but you know, myself, I was a technician, an SEO guy. I didn't go to school, to business school. I didn't have a mentor guiding me. I had to kind of fall on my face a little bit. And this was an inter introduced EOS introduced me to a simpler way to run a business. And, and that's what it is. It's, it's many businesses are similar and it just provides you a guiding light in how to run a business um, through meetings, through, through data, through people and all those different types of situations. Yeah. It seems like it's a process that kind of uh, puts in place these like checkpoints or milestones to help you right size the way that you're working. Like it, it's a, it's a, it's almost like a process for, managing a business or, or a team in some way. I'm curious, how has EOS changed the way that you and your team work? Well, the first thing is, is we had to have candid conversations with people if they're in the right seat, right person, right seat. It's basically helped us identify where individual strengths lie. And it's also allowed us to set long-term and short-term goals that are tied into smaller increments of time, 90 day rocks, and then weekly level 10 meetings. So that we're always pushing towards those annual goals. And it's not just kind of a pipe dream that you never think about. It's had a tremendous impact because there's now a data component for every department, a top level scorecard that I can look at to see if the business is healthy. There's an exercise, and I can't remember which book I read it in, but 
you're the owner, imagine you're on an island and you don't have any cell service or anything and a waiter comes up to you and he brings you a piece of paper and on that piece of paper is the numbers that will tell you if your business is healthy or if it's crashing. You know, what numbers are on that paper? And that's kind of the top level scorecard that you want. You can just quickly glance at, see if everything's on track. And then you have your department scorecards to see if those individual departments are running properly. You know, what would be on that paper? Mm-hmm. And it's really helped us get clarity where our holes are, where we can improve. And we evaluate our people a little bit differently, not only their core values, but also, you know, if they get it, they want it and have the capacity to do a particular task. Cool. So it sounds like the the benefits you're seeing are around just having that uh, kind of more of a bird's eye view, but more of an, it sounds like an analytical point of view of how things are doing within around the health of the company, but it sounds like employees might be benefiting as well because there's a little bit more structure around their performance and their growth and how they're impacting the business. Any other benefits that you're seeing or maybe your you know, directors or even you know, not lower level is a horrible word, but other employees might be experiencing or seeing? I, I, I think the, transparent, <coughs> the transparency <coughs> thing, mm-hmm. you know, across department, Individual can go look at a scorecard at a different department and understand, you know, where they're at and what they're working on. So I think there's that benefit. And again, the competition side of things, you have two on-site SEO specialists that have to publish X amount of content per week. You can see, you know, who's actually hitting their goals and who's missing or who's overachieving. And it brings clarity on even on a, on a production or a production type of throughput type of right. situation. Yeah, that's got to help you make some pretty critical business decisions around mm-hmm. hiring and workloads and all of that stuff too, which is cool. Are there any challenges with getting going with EOS? When you get started with EOS, you really have two main options. It's if you're going to self-implement, and that's difficult. That's what we did. I watched every YouTube video I could. I read all six EOS books, and you can count Fireproof as a seventh book several times. And listened to as many podcasts as I could. And still, we had challenges self-implementing. The other option is to hire an EOS certified implementer to kind of be a chairman to guide you. For those of who can afford that level of investment, that is definitely the approach I would take. A non, non-biased chairman to guide the implementation, at least for the first year. And it's definitely a challenge. So those are your two options, but really self-implementing is very challenging. Even ourselves, after self-implementing for three years, we actually hired a chairman for our fourth year to continue with us on our annual planning and quarterly rocks. Sometimes when we choose these 90 day rocks, a lot of times they're not you know, smart, measurable, specific, whatever the, the smart goals. Yeah. Um, they're a little bit too subjective. And at the end of the 90 days, we're like, well, did we 
did we do the 90 day goal or not? And it should be very clear. Right. Well, I mean, it sounds like any other kind of like formalized process. There are steps you have to follow, things that you have to do to make sure that you're maximizing the benefits of that process, right? I'm sure that it's easy to stray from those things, especially if you're self-implementing. And I'm sure that there are ways that a lot of folks are cutting or hacking or, or doing things within EOS that work better for them, which I'm on board with that when it comes to any process, right? Like I talk about that stuff all the time within project management, but you've got to do what works for you. And if you're seeing benefits in doing something a certain way, then why wouldn't you push in that direction? The idea of hiring an implementer is an interesting one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not to me and I'm going <clears> to, <throat> the level of investment's different for everyone, but mm-hmm. you do a, a few, few day planning session and then you start doing an annual planning and then quarterly. So it's not like they're meeting every week. Yeah. It's, it's not like a, where they're, you know, it's a super high fee because you're not meeting as frequently you're meeting quarterly. And, once you get going. So there's a lot of focus on, on meetings, right? Like kind of like ceremonies and in, in agile, that kind of thing. Yeah. They, they have this level 10 meeting. It's an hour and a half. It can be shorter. It's got a specific structure to it. I am not a fan of meetings. Um, so if they're status updates, I'm not a fan of them. If they're, if we're actually accomplishing something, then, then, I'm all for the meetings. So I think things like Loom or, or uh, you know, Scrum reports, you know, what did you work on? Where are you stuck? What's coming up? I think those things are great outside of a meeting, but this level 10 meeting has a specific agenda that you follow. And it, it's, it has been perfected through tens of thousands of businesses. And it's been very powerful for our organization. Cool. Well, we can't dig too deep into EOS here, but I do uh, I do want to mention that we'll drop the names and links to the books that you've read, the seven books, including Fireproof you mentioned, um, and any other info about EOS in the show notes. So if people do want to dig into that, they can. But I'm coming up on my last question for you, unless there's anything else you want to talk about related to EOS. I'll let you lead, lead the show. All right. So... <laughs> At the end of every episode of Time Limit, we kind of asked a question leading back to the title of the show. So, you know, we're all working under limits, whether it be with time or resources, whatever it might be. And, you know, you could take this question in so many different directions. But I'm curious, you know, on the days where it feels like you just don't have enough time, you know, there are so many things for you to do, so many different places you could focus What's the one thing that you do or use to help you prioritize that work? Like, how do you find your focus? That is a deep question there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to answer it a little bit different. One of the most helpful things that I've done is I've structured my week into daily themes. So Monday meetings. Tuesday is my account management, Wednesday marketing, Thursday podcast, Friday freedom, you know, anything. So when I, I still do a little bit of account management for my big clients. So if they want to set a console or I have to do SEO work, I always set it on Tuesday. Okay. 
if I'm going to have a meeting with my team, I always set it on Monday. If I'm going to do marketing, it's Wednesday. So I know that it's predictable of what type of work I'm going to, I can get in that mindset that I'm going to be doing marketing or podcasting or doing client work. And just, it allowed, it allows me to be more efficient. And so that's one of the things I do to help prioritize what's going to be worked on on a daily basis. That's awesome. I love that. I've actually been getting into a similar rhythm with my work, uh, just more so dependent on, like the, like you said, the type of work that I need to do uh, based on that. So I, I'm, I've started to rough that out in my calendar and I follow along with that. And it's really been helping my productivity uh, in terms of like time spent on things. Now, of course, there's always days where something creeps in. And you, you do something else. But at least if you have that focus time for one thing each day, I found that to be really helpful. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me on Time Limit. And it's always a, a pleasure to talk and really interesting to hear your background, uh, how you kind of started growing rankings. And I'm really excited to see where you take it. So thanks again. Yeah, Brett, thanks so much for having me. All right, that's it for this week's episode of Time Limit. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to those EOS books and to learn more about Chris and rankings. And do me a quick favor. If you're enjoying the show, subscribe and share it with your colleagues or on social. And if you're really feeling it, write us a review. And I'll see you right back here for our next episode. Thanks so much.